I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. How to taper for a race. We spend a lot of time and energy training for our races. We accumulate the miles and the workouts for weeks and weeks and even months. We build and build and build and build. For a lot of us, it's actually time to start the taper right now. It's that time of year again when all of the fall races are quickly approaching. Tapering is essential to running your best time on race day. We must understand how to taper in order to take full advantage of this process. The taper is where you are going to start decreasing the load so that your body and legs can fully recover and be the best they can be on race day. Today, we're going to do a deep dive into how to taper and get the most out of the benefits of the taper so that you can crush your race day performance. And I have with me today, Jason Phillippe, who has been coaching for over a decade and has over 20 years of running experience himself. Um, He has experience helping athletes taper in races as short as the 800 meter, so just a half mile, all the way up to um, ultra marathons in the 50 miler distance. So today we're mainly going to be talking about the marathon and half marathon distance because I think that is the most popular with our listeners, but a lot of these strategies and tips can also be utilized in the even longer distance races and for the shorter distance races we'll briefly touch on you know kind of how to taper for a 5k 10k and what that looks like compared to the longer distance races um we have done between the two of us over uh 25 marathons together. So uh, we have a lot of experience personally utilizing this as well. So we'll share a little bit about our personal tapering experiences and maybe some of the mistakes that um, we have made along the way and what we have learned from that. And then also just how we like to taper our athletes and go through that process with them because we coach um, a lot of people and we've helped athletes taper successfully for races for uh, Jason over a decade. And I've been doing this since. 2013. So uh, we have a lot of experience in that realm as well. So Jason, what distance of race should you taper for? This is a great question because I think most people are automatically going to jump to the marathon or possibly the half marathon distance, right? Because notoriously we've learned that you should have anywhere from a, you know, two to two to three week taper. And, um, you know, when I think of the taper, I'm thinking of it for every race, every goal race that you have, no matter the distance. So when I coach at the college level, you know, we're tapering athletes to be ready for their their championship season race at the end of the year. And that could 
for track, that could vary between 800 meters all the way up to the 5K or the 10K. And for cross country, you know, it was always around 8K um, race distance. So um, for adult runners, it really depends on your goal race and distance. Um, for a 5K, the tapered time frame is going to look a lot different than it would for a marathon. And um, so you have to ask yourself kind of what is your goal race. If you're doing a 5K and then you're doing another one a couple weeks later and another one a couple weeks after that, you know, your taper may look different as well as you approach each of those races. Um, you may not be looking to PR at all three of those. And so, you know, we may structure your taper a little differently, uh, but typically for a 5K, I'm, I'm looking at four to six days roughly, and then it'll kind of go up from there as the distance increases. Right. And I love how we're kind of talking about the shorter distance races to kick things off, right? So you've coached at the college um, cross country and track level, also at the high school level. And for people who are unfamiliar with what that season looks like, it's typically a series of races every weekend or every other weekend. These athletes are going out and they're racing but the idea is that you're building towards one goal race. So maybe that is the regions meet, the state meet, um, maybe nationals, right? It just depends on the caliber of athletes. So you're really building towards the end of the season. And that's when you want the athlete to hit their peak and to run their fastest time is at the end of the season. And so it might be a little bit confusing when we're talking about tapering for a 5k or 10k. But the idea there for these cross country or even track athletes is that the first meets of the season where you're doing meets every weekend or every other weekend, those are practice times where you're racing, but we're not going to be tapering for those races because in that realm of just the nature of cross country and track at the college high school level, there is not enough time to train and taper for a race within, you know, a one week or two week time span. So a lot of these athletes are never going to taper until they reach that end point of their season. And that's when the coach will start to utilize a taper. So Jason, how do you know when an athlete is approaching the end of their season? Because I know for some athletes who are at the higher levels, maybe like you were, um, how do you know that the state meet or the region meet, or how do we know what is the last meet that they're going to be doing? And how do you plan for that when it comes to tapering down the mileage? Yeah, good question. You know, in a group setting like that, when you're working with a team, it's a little bit more challenging because you're doing a lot of in-person coaching and um, you may be traveling a lot, you know, the same meets and everything, but people's end of the season mark might be on different periods, right? So um, you may have your lower level runners who season ends three to four weeks before your more advanced level runners. And so you have to start thinking about um, um, differentiating their training and cutting down. Um, you know, when when those advanced runners are hitting their peak, the other runners are hitting their taper. And so it's really important to, um, to meet at, you know, adjust the training for each individual athlete and to kind of gauge based on um, what your expectation is for that athlete and their p- previous experiences. And now when we think about the online setting, you know, it's a little bit easier because we know um, we can see everything online. We, we use the Training Peaks platform, which is an app, and it's really nice to map out an athlete's um, training, but also we can put their race dates on the calendar so we can kind of see what's coming in the future. Um, and, you know, most of us, we're not doing as many races as like um, the competitive, you know, college athlete or even like um, maybe a person who's fresh out of college and they're getting, they're doing a lot of competitive road races. And so um, we're going to probably be able to better target, you know, their A race and to think about um, an appropriate taper as we lead into it. 
Right. Yeah. So everyone is different. Again, that's the messaging that we hear a lot here. But when you're tapering for a short distance race between the 10K and the 800 meter, it's going to be a lot shorter. It's going to be maybe a week, 10 days at most. But the idea is that you don't need as much time to taper for a shorter distance race. And I think that can be seen in a variety of different ways, right? So when you're in the middle of a marathon training cycle, we typically will sprinkle in some shorter races. So you might have a 5k race, uh, 10, eight weeks out from your marathon. You might do a 10k, you might do any sort of shorter distance race in there. And you're not going to do a total taper for that race, but you can still really hit a good performance in that race. And it's just the racing experience that you get out of that. So a lot of people listening probably have done over the course of their marathon training cycle because we're nearing the end here. And a lot of people do sprinkle in races there. And Maybe it's a little bit too late to bring this up, but for future reference, you don't necessarily need to be tapering and doing a full taper for those races within your training cycle. And actually, it's really good to utilize those races within a training cycle as times to push hard on tired legs. And that is just going to be more um, mental toughness and experience in the bank when it comes to marathon race day. Because at the marathon, you know, you're going to have to be pushing really hard after running 20 miles already. And so the idea is during a marathon training cycle, you go into these races with heavy legs, you go into them without a taper, and you have to get used to pushing your body when you are in a fatigued state. So Jason, if an athlete does have a 5k 10k race within a marathon or half marathon training cycle do you do any sort of taper do you schedule that with a cut down week what is usually the protocol that you find best for those type of races within a marathon or half marathon training block yeah good question um you know a lot comes into play here including um, how frequent the athlete has raced or has experience in those distances Um, that'll kind of give me an idea of you know, um, you know, how hard we're pushing on that day too. And we can compare that to previous experiences. Um, also where, you know, where within the block does it occur? And then, um, what was their training like in the week or two weeks leading up to that race? Um, and then, yeah, I'll, I'll usually schedule a cutback week right after the race, just to make sure that the athlete has time to, um, recover from that race. And, and sometimes they're, you know, depending on the level of athlete, we might even do like a long run a day or two later after the race and then we'll schedule the cutback week. It just kind of depends on like how much work we need to kind of fit in, what our time frame is, um, you know, how much time we have out from their, from their goal race. And sometimes we have athletes who they'll come to us um, in the middle of the training block and they weren't planning to do this race and they ask if we can do a 5K, 10K or whatever. And so then we get creative about how can we adjust the training so that this becomes like their their main stressor for that 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 week. And so then we might adjust uh, accordingly and, and move things around. And so that's kind of the nice thing about um, having an online coach and being able to use a, an application like Training Peaks is we can really um, make adjustments when needed. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it really depends on the athlete, right? So going into these races, my philosophy is always, if you can go into a race without doing much of a taper, um, like a 5K or 10K race during your marathon training cycle, and you're able to go into that race on tired legs, that it can be such a huge confidence booster for an athlete. There are other cases where an athlete is 
maybe more towards the peak of their fitness and they want to go after a PR in the middle of a marathon training cycle and the 5k or 10k. So we might schedule a cutback week that week so that they can have a little bit of fresher legs so they can get that extra, you know, five, 10 second edge on race day. But for the most part, a lot of athletes, they can still race and hit maybe a PR or something that's really going to bring them confidence without cutting down the mileage too much that week. And like you said, still making sure we're going to get that long run in at some point. Um, A lot of these races, if an athlete brings it up spur of the moment, uh, a lot of that will impact the rest of the training plan. So you really have to be careful with not racing too much within a training cycle. Uh, One example of this is my parents used to love to travel to races and it was always, you know, we'd build the plan, 16 week marathon training cycle. We had all the long runs in there. It was really good. They had a few races sprinkled in, but then as the course of the summer and the training cycle went on, it was almost every other weekend, hey, can we do this half? Can we add in this half? Can we add in this 5K? And it was literally every weekend. And so you have to ask yourself pro versus con, right? What is the benefit? Why are we doing this race? And really having that understanding of what is the purpose of the race? what would we be missing out on if we did this race instead of a long run? So you really do have to be conscious that training is training, right? And you want to make sure that you're doing everything you can to be in the best shape for that A race that we're building towards. So if during a training cycle, you were constantly racing and trying to test your fitness, you weren't actually training, you were testing. And so on race day, when we get to race day at the end of your training cycle, you've already tested your fitness a ton of times and your body is tired. So the idea during training is that we're training at an 80% effort. We're not leaving all of our energies and all of everything at different races throughout our training cycle. The idea is that we're building towards one peak. We're climbing that mountain. And we might have little times where we're doing a cutback week, but we're still headed upwards in that direction. But I think too often people get really caught up in doing all of the races. I don't think lately that's been an issue with the COVID and having to find races can be a little bit more challenging this year than it has been in other years and people are being a little bit more selective but I do think in the upcoming years it's going to be a trend again where people really get in this race crazy frenzy. So Jason what is the most that you think someone should race within a half marathon or marathon training blog? Let's say it's four months long What is the most frequent that someone should race, even if they're using some of the races as workouts? Is there a limit there if someone is really trying to reach that peak and reach their potential at the end of that season? I would say it's going to obviously vary on the level of the athlete and their experience. And when we think about the marathon, um, you know, we're probably going to want to do less in terms of races just because. Like you said, it's so important to get that long run. And we have to think about what we're sacrificing if we're doing the race. And so those are going to be the most important thing is those long aerobic runs and those, you know, steady state miles. And so I would say for a marathon training block, probably two races is ideal. Um, Anything more than that, you're going to start to be stretched too thin. And so um, as far as distances go, maybe like a 10K or a 15K and then a half would be good. Um, you could do two halves, but I would really caution you and I'd, I'd want one, one of those to be at more of like a marathon pace effort or where we're just focused on pacing 
And then the other one could be like a goal race as well. If we're talking shorter races, you know, you can get, get away with it a little more with racing frequently. If you're only training for a half, just because I think like you said it, you're working on other parts, you're working on the mental toughness, the resilience. Um, you know, so if you're doing a few five K's or 10 K's in there, I think that that's okay. Yeah, that's a pretty solid answer. I like to do those shorter races within a marathon training cycle, almost in place of a workout. So let's say you're throwing in a 5K or throwing in a five-mile race or even a 10K. Anything longer than that, I feel it gets a little bit hard to recover from. It can be a little bit more taxing on the body. But when you're doing those shorter distance races, maybe you're just doing that as racing experience and to get a really quality workout in there. I think those are fun to throw into marathon training cycles. I know you mentioned doing two um, races as the most I think in a four-month time span, you might be able to get away with more like three or four as like the absolute maximum, but you really have to be selective. It has to be planned in advance. I think where a lot of people get carried away is they start throwing them in spur of the moment. It's fine if you go into a marathon training cycle and you say, okay, I don't have any races on the calendar. My goal is to add in two, and that's your goal. But if you go into a marathon training cycle, you already have two or three on the calendar. They're spaced out well. You feel good about it, and then you get excited because you are scrolling on Instagram. You see a race you want to do or whatever it may be. You really have to be diligent about what is the trade-off here, right? If you're going to put in a race when you're supposed to be doing an 18-mile long run, understanding that moving that long run is really going to affect everything in your plan, and that could be okay. It might be fine. But it also might actually not be okay because we already, you know, have only so many weekends to do long runs. So maybe it's fine if you can do that 18 mile long run, you can make it up on a random like Thursday or Wednesday. Uh, But if you only have so many weekends to be dedicating to long runs or races, you really have to be careful about just knocking out, oh, I'm going to do a 5k race instead. We have to really be able to fine tune and prioritize what's important to us. Um, that being said, it is important to also look at, okay, we're nearing the end of our season here and really talking about the taper, right? So we talked about during the five, during the marathon taper, if you add in 5k, 10k races or five mile races, we aren't really necessarily tapering for that. We might cut back a little bit, use it as a deload week. Uh, but we're not going to have a full-blown taper for these races because we are building for that one peak. And it's really important that we understand what peak we're building for. So if you're training for a marathon, we're nearing the end of that cycle, and that's what we're building for. And you mentioned the half marathons in there. And I think this is a controversial topic, but putting a half marathon race in a buildup for a marathon race is asking a lot of your body. Some athletes can get away with it. It's appropriate in some cases, but I think a lot of athletes need to be aware that racing a half marathon is a very big deal and it could potentially set you up where you feel like you reached the peak already and it's it'll be hard to reach for even a next higher peak, if you will, when you have a marathon eight weeks later. And I have fallen into that trap before um, in 2018 leading up to my, what is now my marathon PR. As we're recording this, I ran a 313 marathon, but I felt like on race day, I felt really flat. Um, Even though I tapered correctly and everything was fine, I just didn't really reach my potential on race day. I feel like I was more in like a 308 shape. 
Um, I felt a little flat. It wasn't a terrible performance, but when I look back, I go, you know, I felt really, really fit, you know, six to eight weeks out from that race. And I felt so confident. I knew I was going to hit my goal. But what happened is I had a half marathon race and I ran a PR there as well. But I think I kind of left everything in that race. And that was almost like my peaking moment. Those two weeks before and after that race is where I really felt solid. And then it was just really hard for me mentally to reach for that next peak. And that's something that Coach Ben kind of said to me. He's like, you know, it's hard once you already peak to go and do it again, right? So just something to be aware of that it is a big toll on your body. And I don't know if that's something that you've experienced personally, Jason, but could you speak a little bit to why a half marathon is such a big deal to race right before a marathon? Yeah, you bring up some good points and I kind of want to change my answer after listening to you because I didn't think of some of the perspective that you gave. And um, myself, I've never really had a, a like a goal half marathon race uh, during a marathon and then a marathon following. Um, I've always kind of scheduled a mini off season and then like another training block in between just because I knew that I got wrecked after a half. I think I've spoke, I've told you a few times after we ran grandma's half that I feel like I ran a marathon today. Like I had trouble walking or even stepping up a curb. And part of that is just, you know, I'd done so many. And so I got to a point where, um, I was getting close to running, you know, my, my, I guess to my potential in the half, whereas I feel like I never have really gotten to that point in the marathon. And so, um, I knew I was out there pushing it. I was, the training had gone well. Um, and I just was spent. And so I can't even imagine trying to continue after that. And, you know, even taking a few days off or whatever, and then continue and run a marathon a few weeks later, I can't imagine what that would be like. Um, the only time I had experience running a half is I took it at, at marathon effort. And so, I was able to bounce back after like a week and kind of resume with my training. I had a good marathon after that, probably uh, six to eight weeks later. But um, can't imagine doing it the other way. Like you said, racing a half all out, recovering, and then racing a full. Um, you're, you're definitely jeopardizing um, the, the performance of, of the marathon. And I know certain elites have gotten away with it. But again, we have to think about their training volume and just how intense it's been. Yeah, I know a lot of people have done it, gotten away with it, and found success doing it, but it is something to kind of tread lightly on and understanding pro versus con. I think if you really want to go after a half PR, there could be a totally different time and season where you train specifically for the half, and that might actually set you up for better success than trying to just nail a half PR eight weeks later, nail a marathon PR. And I'm not saying that it hasn't been done. I literally just gave an example of me doing it in 2018. And there's been other years where I've also done uh, similar things. But it's it's just it's a lot to ask of your body. And I think that even if you do both of them successfully, I think when you reach the end of that marathon and you're done with the marathon, you're going to feel maybe a little bit more burnt than you normally would have. So I think giving yourself that option of not racing the half. And I love how you talked about using a half marathon at marathon effort during the build. So 
let's say you are signed up for a half marathon within your marathon training cycle, using that as a marathon pace long run is the perfect way to really gear up for marathon race day. So let's say you get to that race, you're going to do a two or three mile warm up. You do the half marathon at marathon effort. You practice fueling. You wear your race day outfit. You get used to doing water stops at marathon pace. You get used to fueling at marathon pace. And you get used to running marathon pace in a racing environment. It is the most specific workout that you can do to the marathon within a marathon training cycle. So there are a ton of benefits to signing up for a half marathon, doing it as a marathon pace effort or a marathon pace workout. And then doing a longer cool down. And I think that option really sets athletes up for a little bit more success. But I know even listening to that and even saying that, some people are cringing. They're like, well, I would hope that I could run a half marathon at uh, marathon pace. You know, it, it doesn't really seem... Um, like super exciting. I I don't think when people think to do a half marathon at marathon pace, you're like, why? What's the point? I would be just off my PR. People would be seen on Strava confused. You know, there's kind of that whole stigma attached to not racing a race, but you have to understand that there are benefits there. So how does one overcome that stigma or, you know, me looking back in 2015, 2016, I was someone that I could not physically not go after a PR on race day because I was still someone who could PR relatively, I mean, not easily, but it's not, I I really rarely had a race where I didn't PR. And I think for a lot of newer athletes, the expectation is, and, and newer, I'm talking about like first seven years in the sport. So if you haven't been running for 10 years, most athletes who go to a race, they usually have an expectation of running a personal best or getting as close to a personal best as humanly possible. And so to actually go to a race with the intention of not setting a PR can be really weird for some people. So how does someone work through that? And maybe is that not even an option for some people? Yeah, that's that's definitely a tough one. I think having a coach can definitely help you kind of stay honest with yourself and keep you keep keep that perspective right like hey this is what we're working towards this is what you um have expressed to be like your number one goal and so we really want to not do anything to jeopardize it hey yeah along the way we can have some fun and do these other things but we really want to make sure we're setting you up um for success on your goal race day and so um you know understanding that there's some give and take like if if a person doesn't really care about their marathon and they're not really gung-ho on getting a pr maybe they do want to target the half and maybe the half is on a faster course and it's better weather. And then by the time they get to the marathon, they're just going to kind of go out there and do it to be doing it, you know, just to experience it. And that's, that's a different situation. I think every athlete's going to be different. You know, their racing experience is going to come into play. We had a lot of athletes, you know, over the last like 18 months who they didn't really get much experience racing. And for those who are consistent with their training, um, I'm sure they're going into this next this fall here and into 2022 thinking, well, I could PR in every race distance just because I, I've been the most consistent I've been. Um, so for them, yeah, they're, it's going to be tough, right? They're going to expect a PR in every distance. So we really have to think about, um, you know, the goal races and um, adjusting training accordingly. Right. And that brings up another point. And this is the last thing before we go into more of the technical things about tapering. But 
how you were talking about, it really depends on what your goals are for the races. So if you're someone who has a marathon PR that is just totally not in line with your fitness at all, like you just kind of jogged it, right? And you're just trying to do a little bit faster than that. You might be able to get away with racing that half and then just going into the marathon and not, not having as high of expectations. But when we say racing a marathon, that is not the same as just going and running it or even going and, and doing like a moderate effort. Racing a marathon is where you're going there with the intention to run as fast as possible over 26.2 miles. So basically racing it would be taking your half marathon PR. So for me, let's say I'm in 130 half shape, you would double that. So what would be a marathon time if you know you do t- two times that? That's a three-hour marathon. And the rule of thumb is usually you're adding about 10, maybe 15 minutes on there. And that's really more of a race. So for me, that would be like between a 310, 315. Where if you're someone who's like, well, my goal is really to take that time. So 90 minutes, double it. So three hours. And it's more of like a 30 minutes. So like I'm trying to run like a 330. That isn't necessarily racing, right? That's just running and that's doing a moderate effort. That's still a hard effort, but you're not going out there with the intention, putting it on the line, destroying yourself, like running as close to your physical ability as humanly possible. Uh, So that's something to also keep in mind, right? Um, Obviously, there's other factors that go in there, but this is just one rule of thumb that we like to to use. So now that we've talked a little bit about racing during the marathon and half marathon training cycle, we want to chat a little bit about the technical tapering terms, kind of what that means, how long it takes to taper and all of those sort of things. So it usually takes you about two weeks to actually lose fitness, right? So a lot of times within a marathon training cycle, if something flares up, someone has to take a day or two or three off, people start panicking, right? They're like, ooh, I'm going to lose fitness, right? And we always say, the rule of thumb is it's going to take you at least two weeks to start to lose fitness. So that's an important thing to keep in mind when we're talking about building into a taper. Traditionally, a marathon taper is going to be three weeks long. So you have to keep in mind there, what if you start losing fitness after two weeks, right? There's kind of that wiggle room. And so some coaches will actually start that marathon taper at two weeks. Others, it it starts right at three weeks. There's just a lot of different philosophies out there, but usually you're going to want to start cutting back, starting the taper between three and two weeks out for sure. Um, for us, we like to have the third week out be that longest long run. So three weeks out from the marathon, you're 21 days out. That's going to be your absolute longest long run. And then as you're two weeks out, you're going to do more of a marathon simulation type of long run. So it's going to be a little bit shorter, but you're going to have some very specific pace work in there. Um, that, that third week. So when you're doing the longest long run, you're going to be running your peak mileage. That's usually what we do that second week where you're going to do that marathon specific long run. Maybe it's 16, 17 miles with a ton of miles at marathon pace that week. You're going to cut down mileage a little bit just naturally because your long run is a little bit shorter, but also we might cut back a little bit before that long run, right? We might have a little bit of shorter mileage just to go into that marathon simulation run, um, like slightly on a little bit fresher legs, but it's not going to be too much of a cut, right? You might do anywhere between like 10, 15, 20% of what the mileage was the week before. So if you were at 50 miles a week before, we might be doing something more like 40, 42 miles that week. So that first week of taper 
really isn't much of a cutback. So can we talk a little bit about that first week of taper? So let's just say you go on that longest long run, you just do like 20 miles, you're pumped, you're totally tired, and you're like, yay, the taper starts. How do you usually feel that first week? And is it more of kind of a letdown? Yeah, I think every athlete's going to experience different feeling, right? If you are an experienced marathoner and you've been through this before, um, you're you're probably not going to take too long to recover from that that final twenty miler. If this is sort of a newer um, concept for you, or you've only done a, a small handful of marathons, sometimes that you can spend that entire week kind of recovering from that twenty miler. So that week's just going to look like easy mileage until you have that that um, kind of medium. I call it like a medium long run, the race simulation run, two weeks out. And so, um, you know, just kind of gauging, you know, as uh, working with a coach, it can help kind of try to perfect that for you based on hearing about your previous marathon experiences and whatnot. Um, and also just seeing how your training has gone over the course of the 16 weeks. Um, what sort of workouts have you excelled in? How have you recovered from other workouts to kind of gauge that? Um, and yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, I think that the hardest workout leading up to a marathon should be done that last hard workout should be done about 13 to 14 days prior to the marathon. So anything after that, we're not really looking to gain fitness after that. We're just kind of looking to, um, recover while we're sort of just sharpening, keeping the legs turning over on certain days. So we might throw in some strides or like a shorter fart, lick um, at marathon effort, but we're not going to do anything super intense, no VO two max workouts, you know, after the, that, um, final race simulation run. Right. I always find that first week a little bit of a letdown because you know that the taper is starting. You know you just did your longest long run. But yet I feel very tired that first week. I don't feel any sort of effects of the mileage drop because you have to keep in mind that first week, your legs are still super fatigued. Like you were saying, it might take you a while to recover from that longest long run. Um, You're cutting your mileage, but it's so slight that you're not noticing it right away. Um, And you have to keep in mind that the idea is that we're still really kind of holding on through that first week of taper because those decreases in fitness start to happen around two two weeks. Um, so you really want to make it through to that, that week where you're two weeks out. And then that's when I think the real fun starts to become with the taper. So if that first week you're still just feeling like you're in peak training, that's a little bit normal and it's almost expected. So that next week, so you do your race simulation, we're riding into that next week. You're between 13 and seven days out, uh, that whole week, we're again, we're going to cut the mileage again. So let's say you did 50 as your peak week, then you're doing 40. This week is going to be a lot more drastic. So your long run is probably not going to exceed 90 minutes. So it might be anywhere between eight miles and 12 miles, maybe if you're a little faster. So it could be anywhere in there. And that's really, really light compared to what you have been doing. But even leading into that long run on the weekend, your, your runs during the week are going to just be way less than they normally are. Um, you might have an extra rest day and that's where things can start to feel a little weird. And I think the beginning half of that week, I typically feel pretty bad, right? I feel pretty fatigued. Can we talk a little bit about the phenomenon that usually occurs during this week at some point? People are expecting to feel good. They're expecting to feel fit. What usually happens? Yeah, I think it's so normal for for most of us to to kind of start to doubt ourselves, right? Because we notice that our body feels different. So we've adjusted our training. So our body's in a recovery mode, repair mode. 
we might even notice like certain things um, start to creep up and bother us. Like, oh, I didn't know I was sore in this area and now I am. Um, and I think that that's just normal. I think the big thing is, you know, if you notice it on your run and it's affecting your stride, then that's something to be concerned about. But if it's just kind of like during the day and it seems to go away as you loosen up, then it's, it's probably nothing. And so um, I think just doing your best to um, trust the training that you put in over the course of however many weeks and then uh, trying to take your mind off of um, the, the race itself. There's obviously um, a lot of mental preparation that goes into it and you want to, you know, spend some time thinking about it, but you don't want it to be like, you don't want that to be just overwhelming all of your thoughts um, that whole week leading up to your race, just because it can be really draining and you want to start to uh, think about some other things uh, to kind of help have, take your mind off of it. And so, um, you know, obviously during that time is also a time to focus on doing the little things, right? Like trying to make sure your sleep and your nutrition, all that is on point, um, the foam rolling. And so I think the self-care is, is huge, but the mental and emotional self-care is just as big because we don't want to get to race day being so with so much nerves and anxiety that we're not going to be able to perform. So we want to remain confident and trust, trust the training, trust the process and trust that what we're feeling is normal. Yeah, there's a lot of trust that really goes into this week. And I like how you talked about the recovery aspect and how your body is really going into recovery and repair mode. So what we have to keep in mind is that this is the lowest amount of mileage that you have ran at all in the course of your entire training. So your body is understanding, whoa, we're doing a lot less than we normally do. You're still doing something, but it's a, it's less than you have in the entire training block, most likely. So it's the least amount of miles that you've ever ran. And so your body is going, whoa, whoa, yay. Like we have time to recover and repair. There's more downtime. She's letting us, or he's letting us, you know, take this time off. And your body goes into more of a deeper repair mode than it's ever been able to do during the course of your marathon training block. So you have those cutback weeks during your marathon training cycle and your body's able to do a little bit of repair. But the idea during the taper is that you're taking a prolonged um, recovery break. So it's going to be two, three weeks, right? It's not just going to be five or seven days. It's going to be longer. And so it gives your body longer to go into a deeper repair. And since you already cut back a little bit last week, now your body is really understanding this next week. Oh, this is a little bit longer. I have longer to do deeper repairs and recovery. And so you might find that you're a little bit more tired because the hormones in your body are going into repair mode. And so maybe during the course of your training, your body was a little bit more in fight or flight. It was under a little bit more stress than it normally is. And when you are under a little bit more stress, your body does have a little bit more adrenaline to do things. You feel better, uh, but you can't be in that state forever. And so when you go into those recovery states during the cutback weeks and during the taper, you might feel a little bit more fatigued than normal, especially if you're really in tune with your body. Your legs might feel a little bit heavier because your body is going in and doing deep repairs. Some other things that do flare up during this time are either phantom injuries or you might feel an old um, injury just kind of twitching or, or feeling a little bit weird. And as my chiropractor likes to say, who has worked with runners all over, um, working with Team USA Minnesota, so professional athletes, he says that during that time, your body is going in and able to do really deep repairs. And so when you feel something flare up, like an old injury, 
it's just the repair that's happening. And sometimes it's aggravating old injuries or like scar tissue. And so you might just need to roll out a little bit more, maybe have a tune up with your active release therapist. Um, but understand that sometimes it can be normal to feel like random twitching in your leg for a second and, and those sort of things. Um, so that, that next week is where you might feel a little fatigued. You go into that eight or 12 mile long run. I think I've had some of my worst runs on that last long run before the marathon. So seven days out, I am probably feeling about my worst at that point. Um, just because I have a, an expectation hangover, right? So you think to yourself, eight miles, 10 mile long run. What a joke. This is, I can do this in my sleep. This is like what my normal midweek run is. And you go out there and you don't feel as great as you thought you would. You feel a little bit tired. You wake up tired, those sort of things. And you're expecting to feel really good. And so what you are saying is that you really need to trust this process. And I think where I have made mistakes personally in the past is I'm like, oof, I don't know. This feels really weird. I feel really bad today. I want to test. I want to make sure my legs can still go fast. And so when I was younger, maybe in 2014, 2015, I would go out there and I would just be like, I I have to make sure I can still run like marathon pace or even faster, right? I wanted to like hammer something so that I could prove to myself. And this is the week where you don't want to do that. You do not want to leave your race in a workout and you just do not want to be testing your fitness during this time at all. Even if you feel like crap, you really need to trust and believe that the taper is working. It's doing its job. And by you going out and testing or by you running your easy runs faster than you should, you are going to set yourself up for a less than optimal performance on race day. So that's something you really need to keep in mind this week. Just make sure you stay calm. You might feel like crap. That's normal. So then once you get to that week of the race, how are most people typically feeling? And tell me a little bit about what that week is like for people in terms of running. There's probably not a lot of running that is being done. And what is the common mistakes you see that week leading up to the race? I think common mistakes would be to run too fast, right? Because you feel good. You're running less, so your your legs might start to have a little pop in them after a warm-up mile or two. You know, it can feel sluggish to get started, but once you get going, you may notice, oh, I'm feeling good. And then, you know, before you know it, you're cutting the run short. So um, maybe pushing the pace a little bit too fast. Like you said, doubting your fitness. And so maybe you want feeling the need to push a little too fast. If Let's say you're doing your final, like, little workout. Maybe it's about five days before the marathon. Typically, a good final workout is just, like, Four, four by two minutes at marathon effort. That's like one that I like to give or something similar, five by a minute, something like that. And so um, you're not supposed to be running much faster than that. You want to use the same system that your body's going to be using during the marathon. So um, maybe pushing the pace a little bit too much on that. And um, another common mistake might be uh, just maybe not eating as much because you notice that you're not running as much. And so your body, you may, you may not feel like you need to eat as much. And so if you're under eating, obviously you're not um, you're not uh, preparing your muscles for what's about to come. And so you want to try to continue your normal eating habits, maybe even focus a little bit more on making sure you're getting good food in, the quality food. So um, hydration obviously is key too, and making sure you have a good balance of electrolytes, especially as we get you know within those 24 hours of the race. 
Right. It's super important during the taper to really focus on your nutrition. And this is when carbo loading usually starts to come into play. So they say to increase your carb intake 10 days out from the race. If you're someone who has been marathon training, chances are you are already consuming a significant amount of carbs during those peak mileage weeks. So think about eating similar foods to what you would eat during those peak mileage weeks, right? So think back a couple weeks, what were you eating um, and try to incorporate those sort of carbs into your your meals. Uh, some of my personal favorites are brown rice, sweet potatoes, some of the more healthy carbs, right? We're not going to go and eat a, a ton of uh, you know, fruit snacks or just things that maybe are more simple carbs and that are just going to break down into sugar right away. We want things that are going to be able to store as glycogen and store in our body long term. And another thing that some athletes may struggle with is during this time, if you own a scale, if you're used to weighing yourself and you see the scale go up, totally normal. What that is, is glycogen. It's your hydration don't worry about that. It's going to be used for fuel on race day. So don't try to restrict your calories. Don't try to cut back too much. If you um, are feeling like, oh, I'm gaining weight, it's not actual fat you're gaining, right? It's fuel for the race. And so if you're under fueled for your marathon, you're going to perform worse. So we really want to make sure nutrition is on point. You want to be eating really good that week and just thinking about the fuel you're putting in your body at all times say is this going to be a good fuel for marathon race day and kind of asking yourself those questions as you creep closer to the race you know as we get towards the tail end of this week that Wednesday Thursday Friday you're going to want to be really careful to avoid any foods that aggravate your digestive tract so if you have a history of having bathroom issues on runs and you know certain foods kind of aggregate your your digestive system let's avoid those let's try to eat more of a simpler diet that has worked really well for you and just being more conscious and aware of that for me there are just certain things that I know are a little bit harder on my digestive system I avoid gluten Another thing that flares up for me is if I eat red meat. And so these things are going to look different for everyone. But if you have certain foods that trigger you, maybe we're going to start to cut those out as we get closer so that our body can really be primed up, ready to go, and you're not going to have issues that are going to stop you on race day. Uh, Another thing that people often will ask uh, is about alcohol consumption in the taper or even just in a marathon training cycle. So Jason, what are your thoughts on cutting out the alcohol and do you think that that has a major impact on race day? Um, I was always one who thought, you know, especially in the days leading up to the race, I'm going to abstain from alcohol. And I'm not much of a big drinker anyways, but, um, you know, if I'm a month out, I'm not really too concerned. Uh, but, you know, common common tips are just to stay away from alcohol, especially as your race approaches, because, you know, it's empty calories. It just can lead to dehydration. And so, um, you know, if you really want to target uh, uh, an A race and you want to have a great performance, you want to focus on the other things. Um and, you know, it kind of leads me to uh, my, you know, when I think about just the final preparation that lead into the race, um, I think about there's not much you can do in those final like two weeks to 
gain much more of like an advantage. Uh, no drastic change is going to have a, a drastic improvement outcome on your race. It can only have a, 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 a drastic deprovement outcome on the race. So it can only affect your race. It's not going to like drastically help you improve your time by 10 minutes. Um, but if you try something new that your body's not used to, it can really affect your, you know, your digestive system. Um, and so just something to think about, you know, and that, that goes with anything, right? Like you don't want to try something new, um, like some new exercise or anything that you haven't been doing in the final days leading up to your race. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I think that rings true in every aspect. So if you're someone, let's just say who uh, during peak marathon training, you are eating a Taco Bell multiple times a week and you are eating frozen pizza and then you reach a taper. It's not a great time to start like an all vegan diet or all whole foods or start whole 30, right? Those would maybe be good changes you could implement into your lifestyle. I'm not saying you shouldn't make positive changes, but what I'm saying is your body is used to you eating that way. So you probably want to stay semi-consistent with your diet during the taper. And then after your marathon would be the time to make those changes, right? And I have heard too often of people, you know, four weeks out, three weeks out from a marathon, they're like, I'm going to start a vegan diet. And I'm like, well, what is your diet currently like? Because if it's in close in line with, you know, being vegan, then okay, probably not a big deal. But if you're someone who is just eating meat every single day, you're eating dairy every single day, it is a drastic change for your body to go from that to cutting all dairy out, cutting all meat out. And you don't want to be doing that when you're also expecting your body to be able to run as fast as it possibly can over 26.2 miles, right? So my thing is keep doing what you really have been doing, right? And, and another thing, I know some people like to do, they cut out caffeine a week before and then they reintroduce it. I am someone who drinks like a pretty good amount of caffeine regularly. And I think that if I cut out caffeine for a few days leading up to the race and then reintroduce it on race day, wow. Not only would I feel like garbage that whole week, I would probably feel like I'm going to have a heart attack on race day, right? So you really want to be aware of what you are going to be doing to your body. And so I know that there are benefits to doing the caffeine, you know, tapering it off and then reintroducing it. But for me, I don't want to really mess with my schedule because I know the more consistent I can be, the more calm I'm going to feel race week and the better I'm going to feel on race day. So for me, I like to keep in, you know, if I have dessert three times a week, I'm still having dessert three times a week during the taper. If I have wine twice a week, I'm still going to have wine two times a week during the taper because I don't want to feel like, oh, you know, I'm making this change because I really care about my race and it puts more pressure on me. Um, and I don't want that. So you really have to weigh the pros and cons there. If you're someone who's going to feel really good because you eliminate alcohol during the taper and you're just going to think, wow, this is like super fuel for my body, then that's awesome. But if you're someone who's going to have some weird mental hangups about it, like, whoo, I'm not, I'm not drinking alcohol, so I better really bring it on race day. Or if you're just having weird thoughts about it, maybe just go with what is going to make you the most calm and what's going to make you feel the best for race day. So it's really just going to depend from person to person. I do not think that cutting alcohol or cutting out sweets is going to be the magic key to success or it's going to bring you a faster time on race day by any means. Those things are just more complimentary. It's hit or miss of what it's going to do for you. 
So one other last comment, I talked about getting antsy, right? How I don't want to cut out alcohol or cut out caffeine because it would make me feel a little weird or antsy. How does someone stay calm during the week of the race? So you're that week, you're hardly even running, your whole routine feels off. How does one focus on anything other than, oh my gosh, my race is this weekend. Do you think it's important to use more distractions or should you just like go over your pacing plan 100 times a day? Yeah, I think of a balanced approach, right? So I think it's very healthy to have some distractions to kind of keep your mind from always going back to the race. And then also allowing yourself that that structured time, right? Where you can have some quiet time, some time to process, collect your thoughts. Maybe it's just some meditation and deep breathing exercises. And then maybe once you're calm, you could think about like your training as a whole and your approach to the race. Um, I always like to think about, you know, three to five things uh, going, you know, that entire week leading up to the race that you're just going to kind of remind yourself and that they're positive related things about like your approach to the race and mantras and that sort of thing. And so I think it's helpful to think about those, but you don't want to um, start thinking about like the what ifs, right? Because Um, We don't know until we get there. And so there's no sense stressing about things that may not happen and uh, just control the things that you can control and just remind yourself of that. Yeah, definitely. And just knowing yourself and what is going to cause you the least amount of stress, right? For me, going over the pacing plan a million times, it it gets to be a little bit much mentally. I'm someone that likes to maybe distract myself because the bottom line is whatever you can do this week to mentally prepare and mentally make sure you feel confident and ready to go on race day is the best thing that you can be doing. And for some people, that's really studying the plan, that's obsessing, um, that's getting in that game gamer mindset. For me, I know that on race day when all of the people are there and everything's there. I know my body knows what to do. And so for me, it's just keeping my mind not obsessive because my body at the end of the day has trained for this. It's ready to go. And I know it's my mind that's going to get in the way, right? So when I sit there and I look at the pacing plan and I overanalyze like, oh, what if I don't hit this one? Or what if it's hilly this mile? And like, what if this? What if that? Um, It doesn't matter, right? (laughs) So when I sit there and I worry about it or I obsess about it it makes it worse and and so my big thing is keeping my mind calm what's going to help do that so I might distract myself with shows or working on some work project or writing something journaling about something completely different Um, sometimes it's just doing something that's completely different than your race stuff which can be really hard to find a task like that but for me I'm always like okay what is one really random thing that I've been wanting to do for a while that's not super physical? Maybe that's cleaning out like my closet or drawers um, that you can do during that taper to kind of keep your mind off of, okay, pacing plan at mile one. I'm going to be at eight minutes. You know, you don't need to be that detailed if you're someone who's like me. So Jason, do you go over the pacing plan or are you more of let's calm the mind when it comes to race? Uh, I think I've learned to just, uh, you know, think about it for a little bit, but then I call the mind and I don't, I don't get too worked up. I have in my mind kind of a time frame that I want to be at, but I'm never like, you have to hit the first mile at this. I think that just puts too much pressure on it. Uh, so I'm thinking about, I always think of like non-time-based goals and then maybe some time-based or pace goals. And, and then that's it. I just, I get, I get those thoughts in my mind and I just kind of uh, let my mind wander then once I've had a chance to process and um, try to just stay relaxed. And like you said, um, redirect maybe some of that energy or focus into something else uh, and then show up on race day and 
uh, just kind of remind yourself again as you go through your warm-up process of what those goals are and um, keep, keep your thoughts positive. Yeah, definitely. A lot of this tapering part is the mental training and just making sure that you can stay mentally tough, mentally positive, all of those things. Um, And this is a time to really work on that. And I know sometimes during this taper time, it can just be a stressful time for athletes. They're not exactly sure how to to frame it up, how much mileage to cut back, what type of workouts they should be doing. There's just a lot to uncover here. And so if you're not already working with a coach or already working with someone here at Run for PRs, we would love to hop on the phone, chat with you, get to know a little bit more about your training plan and get you a taper because a taper takes almost a month, right? And so we can be there for you in your final month of training. Let's say you haven't worked with us at all. We would be happy to hop in, look at what you've been doing and make sure you have a solid taper plan going into that race because you don't want to miss tapering because tapering can improve your race time anywhere between you know two to ten percent when it comes to race day so you really want to make sure you're utilizing this and we'd love to help you so if you're curious and what that looks like we can even do a free seven day trial if you fill out the form at www.runforprs.com We'd love to get to know more and help with your race day taper. So again, that's www.runforprs.com. Fill out the form there, and we are excited to hear from you soon.